Well, the subject this afternoon is Christ Jesus, our life. I was uh, meditating on this and, uh, of course, coming to the conclusion that we really can look at this in so many different ways. Um, it's a, a subject that I'm sure all of you here will have spent time thinking about, studying and coming to some understanding of it. Um, like I have. We have life in Christ Jesus and our salvation and that I'm sure we're all well aware of. That uh, until we receive Christ as our saviour, we are dead. And therefore, when we accept Christ as our saviour, we are alive. It's a simple story of salvation, the simple fact of salvation. But it's uh, the kernel, it's the basis, it's fundamental. And it's not something that we, I think, should ever feel that we've outgrown. Uh, we're past that. And that salvation is only for gospel meetings to speak to unsaved people. The picture and understanding and the realisation of Christ being our life is deep. And it can be as deep as you want it to be. Or as deep as the Holy Spirit will teach you about them, about it. So, really, I'd like to just go back to the beginning. Um, I'll, we'll read some scriptures together um, about Christ being our life. And then I'd like to go on to looking at the... The picture that the Lord Jesus Christ taught us in his life as to what living for him means. The Lord Jesus Christ lived for his Father. And we see it through his life. And now we are living for Christ. We are living in Christ. He is our life. So we need to be looking very closely at how Christ um, was an example to us that we should be like him. Let's go to John. The book of John is full of the life of Christ or Christ our life. Just, just pick out a few verses. That many of them are sure well known to you. John 1. And verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. On to chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 33. We'll read from verse 32. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God 
is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then on to verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And then on to chapter 8. Verse 12. And Jesus spoke again to the people. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There are many verses that give us pointers to the fact of Jesus Christ being life. In the Bible, at the very beginning, you get the Garden of Eden, and there's two trees mentioned, one of which is the tree of life. And if you go to the end of the Bible in Revelation, you read again in the New Jerusalem that there is in the waters coming out of the throne in this beautiful futuristic state. There is a tree of life on both sides of the river. What is the tree of life? The tree of life, I believe, is Christ. He was there in the beginning. He will be there. He was there giving salvation for us, if you like, in the middle. <clears throat> and he'll be there in eternity to come. He is our all in all from beginning to end because he is God. <coughs> the tree of life is always a difficult one to talk about because we're not given a great deal of information about the tree of life. We know about the tree of knowledge and good and evil. We know how Adam and Eve failed and because they disobeyed God and took from that tree. These trees that were mentioned there were fruit-bearing because we know that Eve took of the fruit that was on the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And we also know about the tree of life that when Adam and Eve sinned and they were cast out of the garden that there was an angel put there to prevent them from getting back and taking of the fruit of the tree of life. The reason for that was that they, have, they were now sinners. They were now contaminated. And therefore, God deemed it was not going to happen that they would take of the tree of life because that would mean they would live in their sinless state forever. God's plan of redemption had another route and so they were barred from going there. There was a separation from the tree of life. Um, a difficult one really, I think, is just to try and understand what Adam and Eve, if anything, had in their relationship with the tree of life before they sinned. Um, some people think they may have participated of that, and that was part of the, 
their relationship with God, uh, eating of the tree of life. Some people might say, well, there's no, the scriptures don't teach that. Uh, we don't know that. Maybe uh, that was something that they missed out on. I tend to think the former. I think uh, the tree of life was something uh, that was um, pivotal in the creation of God, in the perfect state in the Garden of Eden. And it seems to me symbolic that Christ would be central in it and he would play an important role in the relationship between man and God. Anyway, that's one for meditating on. Going on to the future, of course, is that, um, you know, you, you, we read in, um, in Revelation in the seven churches, that the church of God in Ephesus, there was, were told that if they overcame, that they would be given the opportunity of eating of the tree of life. So there is, a, again, the picture of a, a benefit, clearly, that can be given to saints people who have life in them, who are in Christ, who are able to um, attach themselves in obedience to God, in a church of God, and are seeking to sit, be, um, remain in service according to the will of God, that if they overcome the difficulties that inevitably we all get in churches of God, are in Christian life in general, that we're particularly thinking about ourselves in churches of God, Satan's attacking us, there's constant barriers, there's constantly the need for us to overcome, and if we do that, there are rewards, and the rewards are not necessarily futuristic, they can be here today as well. And to eat of the tree of life is clearly seen as a great benefit, because it's speaking of Christ. The tree of life is Christ. And it's a symbolic picture in your head that you have, that you take of the tree of life, you eat it. As we've been reading also, it talks about eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Christ. That there's this symbolic picture of actually physically taking Christ and eating him. So that in our Christian lives of service, we are aware of the importance of Christ providing us, like the manna did in, in the desert for the Israelites. It sustained them, it gave them strength, it enabled them to get on to the next day and get on to the next activity. That is a Christian life in a spiritual sense, that there is a need for us to eat. There is a need for us to take Christ. And because it's mentioned physically, then I think there is a, a need for us to th think physically too. Although it's a spiritual sense that it's not just some hairy-fairy abstract thing that we don't understand. And of course, that's how the disciples saw it. The, at the end, when the Lord told them about, you have to eat my flesh and eat and drink my blood, they went away scratching their head thinking, "How this is crazy. Uh, which is maybe a natural response, uh, somebody says that to you. But of course, the Lord was just encouraging them to, to think a bit deeper. And that's what we still have to do, is uh, 
in our busy lives and all the activities that we're involved in, that we as Christians, we who have Christ in us, we who have the Holy Spirit within us, need to think positively about eating him and what that means. Now, with the Holy Spirit within us, that that enable he enables the word that we read as we, we read about the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ was the word of God and the word became flesh and when it talks about eating Christ I think its meaning here is the word of God it's like eating the word of God because the word of God is Christ he's a tree of life and the, the word of God is like what you are eating from the tree or you're eating his flesh you're drinking his blood the, the word of God is living and active there is no substitute at all for us to uh, maintain life um, by that I mean obviously as born again Christians we have life but that life can be lying dormant and it can cease to be of uh, any benefit to God if we are not being fed and that we are not living and active. And that comes through the eating of the word of God. And that the communion that we have with God in the written word is obviously then taken by the Holy Spirit and quickened. And he then gives us this life that we can have in Christ Jesus, in our actions, in our service. It's probably a pity that there's not so that many people here. You, know, you often wonder who, when, when you're talking about these things, you say you're preaching to the converted. Um, you guys know this. Um, I'm not saying anything that's new. But I suppose if you're like me, even although you know it, it sometimes gets shoved away into the recesses of your mind and it needs brought out time and time again and given a bit of a stir uh, and make you think a bit more about it. That the, the power of the Word of God is something that we talk about and maybe a lot of us don't fully understand because it is, it is Christ. And when you talk about it as being Christ, you know, again, we can act like the disciples and walk away scratching our head and saying, what do you mean that the Bible is Christ? That doesn't make sense. It's just a book. <clears throat> the more you get to in meditation with God and the more you read that, the more you appreciate the need that that is food. That is spiritual food. And if there are people who are not eating, then they are going to die. And it's just like the people in the wilderness, the people of God um, who needed the manna. If they didn't go and pick the manna, they would have died. It's as simple as that. And it's the same today that we have people who are Christians, who are seeking and desirous, love the Lord, and they do not eat 
and they're dying and they're struggling and they're not communing and they don't have the life in them. And it's evident because that life is not there to be seen. They're not healthy. They are not active. They are not reflecting Christ. And the only way that comes is from the reading of the word. I wanted to really to, to, to think really this afternoon just about, about the Lord Jesus Christ because I don't know about you but I find that the meditating on the word is what the feeding is. You can easily read words. I mean, I think I've mentioned this before, speed reading um, some people are good at. And many years ago I climbed Everest when I was a kid and read the Bible. And I could, but if you'd asked me then, what have I read? I guess read words. <coughs> it didn't do me a great deal of good. Uh, <coughs> the way to read the Bible and the way to feed on it, of course, is to meditate, is to take little portions and sit down. And if you don't understand them, to ask the Holy Spirit within you, help me. <coughs> and uh, <coughs> that doesn't necessarily come right away. It means that you might have to talk to others. And that's why the gathering together of saints is important. That's why the coming together to discuss the word is important. That's why we should talk to each other about <coughs> what we're reading. So that we benefit and we learn from each other. So that it's just so easy sometimes to read something and I don't understand that and flick over. And it's it not really been a great deal of benefit. I think... The Holy Spirit will reveal these things if you're genuinely interested, if you're genuinely determined. And uh, if it doesn't, then ask somebody. Uh, and you know, there's plenty of books out there that you can read about it and get somebody else's opinion. But it's always stick with the word first and then bring in other people's opinion and see if it ties up like the Bereans. Don't just uh, take somebody else's word for these things. Study it for yourself. The Lord Jesus Christ, um, when he was here, everything he did was um, to do with his relationship with his father. It's um, something that we often think about in the remembrance when we're giving to God. And these thoughts are put in our minds as we've studied the scriptures, you know that the Lord Jesus when he was here it's amazing just to think about it for a little while that his father gave him life and yet he was God but God the father gave him life he came forth and was born of a woman from the womb and was given life by his father and he was given life for 33 years. And then his father said, I want your life back. And the Lord Jesus gave him it back. It's, to me, very sobering to just think about that for a minute. That when we are talking about the sub subjection of Christ, that's absolutely amazing to think that he had to learn as a child 
by the age of 12, he had learned sufficiently and had understood sufficiently of his position before his Father in Heaven to be able to say to his earthly parents, I need to be about the things of my Father. He was sinless. And that was a massive advantage compared to us. We who are born in sin are constantly striving and struggling with our sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ was given life. He grew and he was dependent on his father in every aspect of his life. And his father was getting him uh, to the position where he was ready at the age of 30 to go out into the ministry. There's plenty of times when you read about the Lord Jesus Christ going somewhere and then something happened and he stopped. I think it was mentioned in prayer this morning about uh, like when Jairus' daughter, he hears about Jairus' daughter, he's going to go there. His purpose being led by the Spirit is to go there. That's the purposes of his father. And then along the way he gets diverted. Who did that? How did that happen? Again, it's a it's the Lord who is totally submissive to his father, being ready to be channeled in the directions that he should go. You read about it, of course, when he's baptized, as soon as he came out of the waters of baptism, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was subjecting himself to his father totally. He's, um, he's able, he was able by his total submission to go away and to pray. And he was being sustained in his life by that relationship with his father. I have food that you don't know about. It's a I think a reference to the food that he was getting from his father. He was getting life from his father as a man. And I think that we have to now be getting life from Christ in the same way. So that the study of how Christ conducted himself and drew that um, life from his father God and in the way that he was directed the way that he was instructed the way that he was channeled is exactly how we should be living our lives today now you it's easy I know to, to think well that was 2,000 years ago that was in a an environment that was totally different from today and that's right it, it was and we're also dealing with a man who was sinless a man who was perfect then that gives us something to aim for. Um, we're not going to get there because we're not sinless and we're going to constantly fail. But the big difference is that we are going through Christ and he's been there before. He is our great high priest. He understands. He appreciates our weakness because he's gone through it and he's seen it. And he appreciates it. I just think I'd like to just turn to um, 
Isaiah, Isaiah 50. <clears throat> there was a reference there that, I, that really struck home to me. Um, again, it's probably a bit I shouldn't know quite well. <clears throat> it's referred to in the New Testament. Isaiah 50. <clears throat> this, this is, I believe, referring to Christ in a, in a futuristic state, of course, and, um, because it's in the Old Testament. Verse 4, the Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. I think you would agree that that's referring to Christ. The picture, I, I just think, is so lovely. Uh, when we're talking about Christ sustaining life, is to look at his life and to th just paint in your mind the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ waking, being wakened in the morning by his father who whispers in his ear and he's he's wakened to listen but it's like one being taught that God the father when he was dealing with the son I don't know how you best describe it, but I would maybe describe it very simplistically by saying he, he must have always had a smile on his face because he's dealing with perfection. Not like us. <clears throat> but this picture of the Lord who had nowhere to lay his head, who had no property, who had no belongings, being wakened by his father and he's receptive so many times in scripture you read about having an opening ear a receptive mind this was all of course Christ he wakened in the morning and it's almost in again putting it in simplistic terms right father what do you want me to do today I'm ready whatever it is you lead me and he's whispering in his ear this is what I want you to do this is what I want you to do. You're going to meet this, you're going to do that, and I'm with you all the way. And it's a receptive mind of one who's just drinking it in and really enjoying the fact that he's being used by his father. Are we anything like that? Are we anywhere near that? Do we wake up like that? Because that was life sustaining to Christ. That was the food that they, the disciples, didn't know about. That's our food today, is to be able to wake up and for the Lord Jesus to be whispering in our ear and telling us what he's got in mind for us today or what he's going to reveal to us today. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. We're rebellious all the time, aren't we? 
we wake up, you hear the voice of the Lord, and you think, not today, Lord, I'll do it tomorrow. We don't even know we're doing it. It's just the way we live. But then when it goes on just to talk about, I have offered my back to the smiters. Again, he's just taking us, or the prophet here is just taking us in his um, the imagery and the visions that he's been given of Christ. And the understanding is that you want to understand subjection. You want to understand Christ receiving the life from his father. Then he takes it right to the cross. I offered my back. There's the ultimate. I have subject myself totally. And if my father says, I'm going to have your back is going to be ploughed like a ploughed field by a whip, then so be it, Lord. If that's your will, I'll subject to that. And I won't hide my face from the spitting. I set my face as flint. He goes on to say, it's a lovely, you know, there's other chapters in Isaiah like that, and of course in the Psalms where you read these things, where it's, it's the Lord speaking through the prophets. It's um, clearly something that was always in the mind of God. <clears throat> and it was something when we think our way back to the tree of life, from then, from time as we know it, all the way through, it's always in the mind of God, with our reconciliation through the perfect man of Christ, the one who was going to give us life. These people that were barred from the tree of life were all in the upper shield. They were still controlled or held by Satan. They were under the power of death until along comes Christ. And he is life. And he is going to supply life in this dramatic way, in the perfect obedient son. And he is submissive. He subjects himself. And it's, although he is totally sub in subjection, as we've again thought time and time again, He's still able to say, but not my will. He had his own will, but he laid that aside. Not my will. I'm totally in subjection to you. So when we think about Christ, our life, that's the ultimate. We have life because we are saved. We have life because we have accepted Christ as our saviour. We live in him. That is life. We are recognised by God. But when it comes, we move on from there. Never forgetting where we've come from. That we continue to be sustained in life. And him who was the giver of life, he sustains us. And he promises us it eternally in a much greater degree that when we then think about the tree of life that's by in the New Jerusalem, one tree on both sides of the river, however you might want to picture that, and giving forth fruit 12 times a year, is just a picture 
of a giving God, of a um, all-sustaining person of Christ with the leaves that are healing. There's just this lovely picture of a future in heaven where the tree of life, which is Christ, continues to pour out on us the recipients of it. Shall we pray?